Good morning. How y'all doing today? Well, I'm up here to read the scripture, which uh, will be taken today from Psalms 139. Um, if you want to follow along, you may feel free to do so. It is in the bulletin on page six. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Word of God. Thank you, Flase. All right. Well, we are continuing in our sermon series called who is God? And each week what we're doing is we're taking a, a, a quick look at one of the many attributes, the different characteristics of God as we encounter him in the Christian Bible. Um, after today, I will be taking a few weeks away, but Pastor Yancey and together with a fantastic group of guest preachers will continue 
the series uh, with sermons on the unchanging nature of God and the sovereignty of God and the beauty of God. But today we're going to be looking at Psalm 139, which was written by King David, whose life we studied over the last couple of months here in this pulpit. And this psalm is one of the best known and most beloved psalms in the entire book of Psalms. And so whether if you know it well or if you're reading it for the first time, let's join together and let's study this and see who we encounter in God. But let's first pause and pray. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would make your presence known. We pray that you would make your word powerful in our lives. Speak to us. Help us to hear you. Help us to follow you. Uh, Give us your Holy Spirit in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I had a friend in college. His name was Peter. And he was a good dude, but he had some quirks, I suppose, like the rest of us. And one of which showed up whenever we played some kind of a game of trivia, asking questions, seeing who knew the answers, every time this friend of mine got a question wrong, and then we would tell him the correct answer as the game would go along, he would reply, oh, oh, yeah, 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 I knew that, I knew that. (laughs) Or when someone else got a question wrong, he would say, oh, that one was easy. Or he'd proceed to tell everybody all the additional facts beyond the answer, the additional facts that he knew about that topic or that person or fact or event, you know, some of you are like, maybe you're like that too, right? My friend was, you know the term, he was a know-it-all. He was a know-it-all. That's a person that thinks they know it all or a person who wants to believe that they know it all and needs to constantly tell you all that they think they know it all. And of course, being a know-it-all has more to do with the person's character than their actual knowledge itself, right? You know, there's sort of this arrogance or insecurity or a sense of superiority. And so I raise the question, is it possible to actually know a lot and not be a know-it-all? Is it possible to know it all actually and not be a know-it-all? And the answer, of course, is yes, because that's what God is like. And that's what we discover of God's nature in today's passage. It's the attributes of God that theologians have described as the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God. Omni means all or every. So omniscience means knowing all things. Omnipresence means present in every place. So God knows everything. And God is everywhere. That's who the God of the Bible is. And so in the remainder of our time together, first we're just going to ask, well, what does that mean? What does it mean? The omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God. Can we unpack that a little bit more based upon our passage here, Psalm 139? And second, then, we're going to ask, but what difference, then, does it make? 
not just what does it mean, but what difference does it make to our lives, to us personally, to how we relate to God, to how we relate to one another. And so first, what, and then, so what? Let's take a look. What does it mean? What does the omniscience of God really mean? As I already said, it means that God knows all things. As Psalm 147, verse 5 testifies, his understanding is beyond measure. There's no limit, no limit at all to the extent of God's knowledge. God knows all about the vastness of the cosmos. There's nothing too big for him to know. Psalm 147 also tells us that he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. He also, on the other hand, knows even about the smallest of details as well. So says Psalm 50 in Psalm 56. Every animal of the forest, every bird in the mountains, each and every insect in the field, the cause of every tear in your eyes. Indeed, Matthew 10, verse 30 tells us, even the very hair on your head are all numbered. God's knowledge is exhaustive. It's universal. It's eternal. It's infallible. God knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. He's never misinformed. He is never in error. His choices, therefore, are never unwise. He never acts in uncertainty. He knows you and knows you perfectly. And his knowledge is not only objective and factual, it's deeply personal, which is what Psalm 39 here focuses on. The psalm opens in verse 1, You have searched me, Lord, and you, what? Know me. You know me. And that word searched carries a sense of, of, of examining something thoroughly and intimately. So here David uses rich poetry to convey the exhaustiveness of God's personal knowledge of himself. Verse 2, you know when I sit and when I rise. Verse 3, my going out and my lying down. God knows all of our actions. He also, David says, knows our thoughts. Verse 2, you perceive my thoughts from afar. In verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And so intimate is God's knowledge of our lives. David reminds us here in verse 15 that God knew us even before the day we were born into the world. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. In verse 13, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And the point is, there wasn't a moment of your existence that God wasn't aware of or personally involved in. 
this is your God. Dear friends, God knows us completely. God knows all things. Behold the omniscience of God. But what does the omnipresence of God then mean? I recently saw a little cartoon where God is shown looking at one of those maps that you find in shopping malls telling you where all the stores are and where you are. And you can see on this cartoon and on this map here the words, you are here, except God is looking at it, so there are red X's all over the entire map, right? Because he is everywhere, simultaneously, all at the same time. We have a hard time getting around the omnipresence of God, much like the omniscience of God, because we are limited by our bodies to being in one physical place at a time, but God is not. God doesn't have a body. God is spirit, John 4, 24. He himself does not have size or spatial dimensions. Rather, God fills all things, says Jeremiah 23, 24, even heaven and earth itself. And yet he transcends heaven and earth altogether. As 1 Kings 8, 27 proclaims, Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. As we sang earlier, God is uncontainable. Of course, this doesn't mean that God is then equivalent to any part of our creation. Those that subscribe to pantheistic beliefs would say that God is everywhere because God is everything and everything is God. But the Bible says that God is present everywhere in his creation, but also that he's distinct from his creation. And neither does the omnipresence of God mean that he's sort of this divine plastic man, you know, with one foot in one room and then another foot in another room, so to speak with his neck sort of stretched out over the ocean and his body over there and his face over here, engaged in conversation with only one person at a time. No, God is never divided in his presence. He is fully present in one place as he is present in another place all the time. All of God is fully present everywhere and to everyone simultaneously. Get your mind around that. And yet there are some places, the Bible tells us, where God's presence is localized more fully, where he's present more intimately and even more intensely. And so in the Old Testament, the temple was such a place. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're told that the church community now is the temple of the Holy Spirit, a special place, a presence where God himself dwells. Heaven is a place where God's presence is localized, in fact, localized supremely. God also promises that his special personal presence is made available to individuals. He says he's near to the humble. As Isaiah 57 says, for this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also where? But also where? 
with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. You want the presence of God? Humble your heart. God is a very present help in trouble, promises Psalm 46, 1, to those who are in covenant with him. And it is this personal dimension of God's presence that our passage, Psalm 139, focuses on. Where can I go from your spirit, David asks in verse 7. Where can I flee from your presence? The answer, of course, is nowhere. Because God is everywhere. God is in the heavens and in the depths, David says, and everywhere in between. God is in the east, that's what the, the wings of the dawn language is referring to in verse 9, where the sun rises at dawn. And God is in the west. That's what the far side of the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, meant to an Israelite. East and west, there's no place, no distance, no neighborhood, no life where God won't go. He's present everywhere. And again, David emphasizes that the Lord was present in his life from the very beginning, verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You were there. You were with me, David says. From day one, in fact, from day zero, I have never existed for a moment apart from the personal presence of the Lord. Dear friends, God is present in all things. He is with us Everywhere behold the omnipresence of God. All right, so what? Now, so what? It's not some nice theology, a little overview of what the Bible says about the omnipresence and the omniscience of God, but what difference does it make? I'm going to give you five things briefly, things that we can find in this passage. Number one, amazement. Number one, amazement. I mean, God knows everything, and God is everywhere, and don't you know, this is mind-blowing stuff. I mean, notice how at different points throughout the psalm, David just has to pause to praise God. In verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And in verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Are you amazed at the extent of the knowledge of God, even in your own life? Are you amazed at the reach of the personal presence of God. Has it spawned wonder in your life lately? Let your imaginations of faith run wild. And notice this too, that this amazement should also nurture in us a certain kind of humility. You know, because God knows all things and I do not. And I cannot. And guess what? That's okay. Well, am, am I okay with that? 
because sometimes I wish I knew everything about everything. Don't you? About the future, about other people, about myself, about products, right? Paula and I, we were talking recently about how the internet has managed to make just about even the simplest purchases a stressful event. Because there's just too much information about every single product that you feel like you either need to know to make a good purchase or that you can know about that purchase before you actually click buy. There's product descriptions and there are customer reviews and then there's YouTube reviews and then there are 360 degree three-dimensional rotatable images of the product that you have to check out and all these things and it's madness and tempting to feel like you must know to move forward. I mean, I wonder how much of the anxiousness that we experience each day is related to our secret desire to be omniscient, like God. And don't even get me started on our lust for omnipresence, right? You know, these daily attempts of ours to be at more than one place at the same time and more than one conversation at the same time. But what if, what if, I allow myself to be more humbly amazed, humbly amazed at what God is so that I know more fully and joyfully what I am not, namely omniscient and omnipresent. To discover that God can be something that I can't. What if I let God be the only omniscient one, the only omnipresent one? What if that would give me some newfound freedom and newfound peace in an otherwise anxious world. Number one, amazement. Number two, comfort. Comfort. For David, God's omniscience and omnipresence wasn't just a cold, objective, factual reality. It was a personal comfort to him. You know that really hard decision that you have to make? Uh, will you take comfort in knowing that God knows every angle to it? That God knows every circumstance, every outcome, every potential danger that you might be facing. You know how you really don't know Maybe what you might need in this phase of your life, maybe the needs of your family or maybe your personal needs, God does. Do you believe that? God does. You know how maybe you don't know what to do, a next step, or a way forward. Do you know that God knows the best way forward? And because God is everywhere, no matter where you are, and no matter what you're facing, you can say along with verse 10, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. That'll comfort you. God is with you, friends. God is with you. 
I know you might feel alone today. But if you are united to God through faith in Jesus, this is just a simple truth that you need to believe. You are not alone. You are never alone. Believe this promise from John, I mean Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You might feel like no one knows you. Whether in the quiet places of your home or the lonely corners of your workplace or even in the pews of this very church. Feeling like no one knows you. Feeling like every thought, every desire or every unspoken fear or every dream that you've got, including the dreams that you feel like are daily being crushed, perhaps, do you know that God knows every intimate detail of your life? And that this should give us security and strength of heart that you don't need to then fend for yourself or provide for yourself or protect yourself or even have to know yourself, figure yourself out. Some of you are just draining life's battery trying to figure yourself out. Would it give you some freedom to know that there's a God who already knows you because he made you, because he sustains you? You have, an, you have a heavenly father who will do and be all these things for you, a protector, a defender, a provider, a father. It's a funny thing because sometimes when I'm putting my daughter to bed, she'll look up at me and, and, and she'll actually say, uh, Daddy, can you smush me? And the first time she said it, I had no clue what she was saying until I finally realized that she explained it to me. Uh, that she wanted me to hold her tight one last time before going to bed. And, and she means her entire body. She wants to be smushed head to toe with my presence or something like that. Dear friends, do you know you have a heavenly father that smushes you with his love? Here's another implication of God's omniscience and his omnipresence. Not just the amazement that should flow from it, not just the comfort that we receive because of it, but also dignity. Dignity. I'm sure you noticed this theme in the third stanza of this psalm, David rejoices that God's personal knowledge and presence started even before he was born. And so we've seen this a couple times already. David says in verse 13, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. In verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body. 
And then notice where he goes in verse 14 when he says, I praise you because I am fearfully or awesomely and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. In other words, what David is telling us and what you need to cling to today is that you have an inviolable dignity before God, not only because you are made in God's image, but also because you always had and still have the personal knowledge and the presence of God. It's not just how God designed you and wired you, It's that God knows you and is with you. You are a somebody. Why? Because God knows you by name. You are a somebody. Why? Because God is intimately with you and committed never to leave you and forsake you. See, the omniscience and the omnipresence of God serves as a foundation of human dignity. And so don't you dare let anyone treat you like you don't matter. God knows you. And don't you dare let your neighbor believe that they're nobody because they struggle with depression or with poverty or with addiction, because you have a message to share with them too, God is surely with you. And of course, we really can't avoid the implications that this has for the value and the dignity of unborn human life as well. They're tiny frames and unformed bodies, in David's language, are knit together in the womb. And because of the omniscient and omnipresent prenatal love of God and commitment of God to them, we conclude they are fearfully and wonderfully made like the rest of us. Friends, that is not a political statement. It's a moral and spiritual and indeed joyful statement from the word of God. But don't miss this too. That these very same verses establish the moral agency of adult women and the value of their physical bodies too. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so we need to grapple with these truths simultaneously before real-world circumstances. But understand with clarity, Psalm 139 here, therefore, invites us to see the radiant dignity of humanity and to consider what if there's a way, what if there's a way 
to celebrate and esteem and protect the dignity and the sanctity of human life from the womb to the tomb. Whether prenatal human life or female life or marginalized and downtrodden human life, all of which, all of whom are fearfully and wonderfully made by our omniscient and omnipresent God. Dignity. Here's a fourth answer to the question, so what? What difference does the omniscience and omnipresence of God make to us personally? Number four, justice. Justice, and we'll keep this one short. You might have noticed that things get a little bit awkward in verse 19. Verses 19 through 22, right? David's language sort of amps up. It's almost shocking. He expresses deep anger towards his enemies. He says in verse 19, if you only, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. Now, notice, David is actually most concerned about how God's law, God's injustice, uh, God's justice, God's name is being violated. You see this in verse 20. They speak of you, God, with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. See, David isn't going down the trail of personal revenge. He's calling on God, rather, to uphold his own standards of divine justice. Because, you see, this is what believing in the omniscience, the all-knowing eyes of God, does. It reassures you that God knows about, that God has not forgotten about, Every and any instance of sin and injustice committed against his people. So that you can actually cry out to God with the words of Psalm 56. You have recorded my misery on your scroll. You have put my tears in your bottle. If God were not omniscient, that cry would be nonsensical. You would have no foundation or basis upon which you could make that cry for justice to God. And this is what the omnipresence of God does. It reassures you that God is near to those who suffer oppression and that he's therefore able to sustain them, indeed even deliver them. Because if God has no working knowledge of the evils of this world, if he turns a blind eye, or if God's not present in the trenches of this broken world, he has no personal ability to intervene and rescue, then we have no basis of believing that God cares about injustice at all. But people who believe, like David did here in this psalm, that God knows all things, his omniscience, and that God is everywhere, his omnipresence, such people aren't afraid to name the destructive presence of evil in the world, because God does. Who aren't afraid to speak with moral clarity about such evils, expressing even outrage at sin and oppression, because God does. 
It gives us confidence to ask God to correct injustice, whether economic or racial or gender or the persecution of Christians or, for that matter, those of any faith or even the abuse of the vulnerable around the world. The omnipresence and the omniscience of God gives us the moral foundation to labor hard with love for justice. Fifthly, number five, and we're going to close here, amazement, comfort, dignity, justice, finally, transparency. Transparency. How does David close this psalm? With these beautiful words found in verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, we've been talking about this. David already has acknowledged that God knows everything, including his own heart. God already sees everything in every way, including every offensive way in his heart. So what is David then seeing? What is he saying? He's saying, God, I invite you in. Come on in. Take a look. See what you will. God will see it anyway. But it's a different thing entirely with humility and love and joy to invite God to see all that you are and all that you do with humble and holy transparency of heart. David's daring to be transparent. He's learning to surrender himself to the grace of God's gaze. Have you done that? You know, instead of running away from God, running away from his omniscience and his omnipresence, which of course is impossible to do, but we try all the time, but rather to have a turn of heart and rather to run toward it, to run toward God, which you'll only do if you've begun to trust in God's character, that he'll be merciful when he sees what you know he's going to see and then some. To believe that he knows all and sees all, but that he also, good news, offers to forgive all. That he actually doesn't just bear to be in your presence, he delights to be in your presence. And of course, the greatest expression of this rich character of God that makes it possible for us to be transparent with him is found in the person of Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, who himself was called the very dwelling place of God, the local home of God in personal form. This Jesus who stood as our representative in the holy presence of God as he hung upon the cross. Jesus who bore all of our sins and wrongs, which are plainly seen before the all-seeing eyes of God. Jesus who, in being punished with the punishment that we deserve, cried out that God was far from him, that he had been abandoned by the God who promises to be near for our sins. This Jesus who was knit together 
not only in his mother's womb, but eternally together with Father and Spirit in the divine and eternal intimacy of the Holy Trinity, here now on the cross being torn to shreds in holy condemnation. Jesus, who for all eternity past had the perfect presence of God, now in judgment, lost the presence of God, who had God's hand, who lost God's hand so that you'll forever have the hand of God in guidance, in affection, in love. Jesus lost God's presence so that if you have Jesus, you will forever have the presence of God, dying for you by name, knowing you on the cross so that you might be forever known by this all-knowing God. And so that you will never, ever, ever lose his presence and his intimate knowledge of you in his love. Because this is what Romans 8 tells us as the Apostle Paul reflects on this aspect of God's character. He raises these questions. So, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, are you convinced, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the promised presence of God upon you in Christ. This is the promised knowledge of God set upon you in his covenant love in Christ. And don't you know it, he's never ever going to take it away. Dear friends, behold the omniscience of God. Behold the omnipresence of God. Let's live now like God is truly this God. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would give us grace to believe and to bear the fruit of faith in living like these things are true of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.